I know what you're thinking. Shakespeare, what a wang. I've always felt the same sort of way about Shakespeare, even though being in the film industry originally, in the creative industries, he's become this thing that people use to sort of socially climb, also in culture, to signal that they are in the cultural elite, to signal that they are oh, in the know. 99% of people who would quote Shakespeare probably don't even understand what the lines mean. They do it to sound intelligent, or they do it to sound cultured. So the whole image of him has been smeared and sort of destroyed, where regular people, us, look at it and go, oh, it's a wank. What these people are doing is a wank. So, yeah, Shakespeare is a wank in that way. So it's utter idolatry to wear him and to quote randomly for things to make yourself look like an intellectual. That's just scumbaggery. It's disgusting. It makes him look like what he isn't. It confuses people. What's really in him is his patriotism. And we've been distracted from that by this cathedral this cultural cathedral that for so long has used it as their tool and puppet to accrue status to themselves. I can't believe I saw such a wonderful performance of it, right? It's as if you'd be afraid to say you didn't like it. What we think of what this figure is now is that if you don't say you like him or a particular line that's quoted from him, you're uncultured or you're not intelligent. Not all the lines in the works are genius. You can remove those things, right, and look to find the spirit of him You've got this fake mythos of, of Shakespeare in the zeitgeist where it's like the wank and then the real nature of the thing that's nested in the work, the spirit of Shakespeare, let's say, the king spirit in Shakespeare, that thing is powerful and patriotic and, and is the Englishman. This story began because he got caught poaching the king's deer, Robin Hood, right, anyone? And after that, he joins a troop, formed a merry men in this troop, which you see him put another one of his plays, a troop of actors being sort of absorbed with the spirit of the forest. That means they have no master because they just get their, their money from the people. So in the countryside, he's absorbing Englishness, learning how to bring that to the people for its own sake. It's, it's not a profession, it's not a big career. It's not a big high-flying academic poet or, or writer. It was even said, that in particular, that this was a low art. Poets look down on people like uh, Shakespeare. So he is a total populist. He's a populist nationalist, patriot. And we know that he cares about the enchantment of England. He paid for a coat of arms for his family. Like what a coat of arms does is bring you and your family as an individual into England's story. Like, the motto of the United Kingdom is God and my right, which means the highest value here is ours under God. Shakespeare's motto was not without right. So what that means is everything behind the work of what he's doing has the right in it, in the sense that it's, a, it's the good, it's the national good, it's the culture's good, the right, sort of out of the national feeling, out of the cultural English spirit, or the king's spirit, let's see, this figure emerges and sort of channels this into his works. That's why he's a patriot. To him, England could do no wrong. To him, English women were the most beautiful women. He had that same egoism. This idea of Englishmen go overseas and foreigners would say, oh, well, there's a foreigner. And then the Englishman would say, no, you're a foreigner. <laughs> I'm not a foreigner when he's in their country. This idea, this egoism, and you might recognize that as an American, right? When you go, oh, everything English is best. Everything American is best. He had that same feeling in his own work and the way he talked about England from very early on. 
And so what this man is, is it's a man deeply connected to the divine spark of English home. So I'm going to read now some lines from different Shakespeare plays, the patriotic stuff. Now this bit is, uh, it's like upon leaving England. Then England's ground, farewell, sweet soil, adieu. My mother and my nurse that bears me yet, wherever I wander, boast of this I can, though banished yet a true-born Englishman. And no matter how far you go, to Australia, to Canada, to New Zealand, you are all to United States, you are all true-born Englishmen, whose fathers and mothers said, on their farewell to England, then England's ground farewell, sweet soil adieu, Greenland, my mother and my nurse that bears me yet, that still bears me, and England still bears you, wherever I wander, boast of this I can, though banished, yet true-born Englishman, and you still are. Your ancestors, when they left, would have thought that. That pale, that white-faced shore, whose foot spurs back the ocean's roaring tides, and coops from other lands her islanders. That England, hedged in with the main, that water-walled bulwark still secure, and confident from foreign purposes. This royal throne of kings, this sceptred isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden, demi-paradise, this fortress, built by nature for herself, against infection and the hand of war, this happy breed of men, this little world, this precious stone set in the silver sea, which serves it in the office of a wall, or as a moat defensive to a house, against the envy of lesser happier lands, this blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England, this nurse, this teeming womb of royal kings, feared by their breed and famous by their birth, this land of such dear souls, this dear, dear land, England, bound in with the triumphant sea, whose rocky shore beats back the envious siege of watery Neptune, is now bound in with shame, with inky blots and rotten parchment. I love that. It's, it's so relevant too, is that this mighty place is bound in with shame and inky blots and rotten parchment of the schools, of the academics and the institutions. This land of such dear souls, this dear, dear land. I mean, anyone who speaks this way about England, of course, is a patriot. You just can't write this stuff unless you do, unless it's in you, unless you felt it and you truly believe it. This happy breed of man, this little world, this alter imperium, a world in, on a, in of itself, a cosmos in of itself, aside from the continent, or as a moat defensive to a house, a home, England, a home for all Englishmen, right? For no one else, for us, made into something on its own, a powerful thing that's separate from the continent and the rest of Europe. Be lion metal, proud, and take no care who chafes, who frets, or where conspirers are, as they are here now. Britain is a world by itself, and we will nothing pay for wearing our own noses. Alter Imperium, like I talked about. Like Tennyson talks about, no tribute will be paid to Rome, to the EU. The natural bravery of your isle, which stands as Neptune's park, ribbed and paled, with rocks unscalable in roaring waters, with sands that will not bear your enemy's boats, but suck them up to the topmost. And so in this too, it's like, it talks about the physical nature of things. The physical things are the, our power. The ports in the place were a weakness until the navy got strong enough. But the way you're using this metaphor, it's our power, it's Englishness that makes this a mighty fortress. But it's using the white cliffs in the roaring ocean as a way of, of, of symbolizing that we do it. We make it a mighty wall. 
and it's the nature that inspires it to do it because it was a weakness to see originally being surrounded by it like i've said before it became because of us because of going into the unknown because of seeing this place as a mighty barrier and a world by itself that we made it a wall of wood we made it and in the Tudor times, around this time, or before, just before, yeah, no, it was this time, is the Spanish Armada came up and was de- was defeated by a navy that was three times smaller than it, Elizabeth's navy. So this speaks of that, though, but the reason they're able to, but of course the sea helped because they got smashed around in the channel, but this idea of, like, one of our guys is worth ten of yours, it comes from the spirit, this ego, this, everything's better in Englandness, you know, and the way he's speaking about it it's not invented by Shakespeare either. It's what everyone's feeling. It's in the Geist. It's in the mind spirit. It's what Geist means. It's like, it's in the culture. It's emerging out of it. And he's channeling it for us. This earth shall have a feeling, and those stones prove armed soldiers. Ah, uh, her native king shall falter under foul rebellion's arms. The whole land will come alive. The spirit of the place will come alive to defend it. This England never did, nor never shall, lie at the proud foot of a conqueror, impregnable island. But when it first did help to wound itself, come the three corners of the world in arms, and we shall shock them. Nought shall make us rue, if England to itself do rest but true. If you're true to England's good, if you're not without England's right, as is on his coat of arms, if you're true to, it's like the Englishness, that, the patriotism that he loves. If we're just true to that, then we cannot be defeated. Then we will be victorious. That's what he's, that's what is, he's inspirited with. All across it, too, the way he feels about Englishness. If England to itself do rest but true to the native authority, to the spirit of the place, to the culture, not foreign cultures, not attacking itself, he does all this implicitly. That's what's so brilliant about it. He's an implicit culture warrior. He wasn't actively propagandizing or anything. He tells the history of England, great battles of the formation of the nation. He certainly does that in the last plays. It's so significant that in Henry VIII is this papacy, Wolsey, is a corrupt, tyrannical figure. He's raising taxes on the people when he shouldn't. He's tyrannizing the people, and then in turn he's tyrannizing Henry VIII. The separation of Rome, Ulta Imperium, from the church is play about the Celtic kings resisting Rome, uniting together to destroy Rome, Ulta Imperium. He's sensing what's going on in this emergent Tudor era and the spirits of the place from out the mythos, and he's re he's channeling it into the work. And then Henry V, sort of in the middle of the plays which is the great Agincourt victory, which I'll read some of later. That's so patriotic, that stuff. It's well, You see in another one of his plays, which is about the spirit of the forest, a troop of actors being sort of absorbed with the spirit of the forest and the, the fairies. You can see it in that, like what happened to him. He absorbed it himself and represented it. He's successful because he's representing the English right in the work. And that's why people come to the plays and see it and feel it. And from the country, think about his name as well, Shakespeare. That's the most Anglo name of all time. I don't think there's ever been a last name of someone so easily recognised what it is, shaking a spear. Also, it was one of the most common names. And what a shaking a spear is, like, just looking at the Anglo-Saxon of it, simply, it's just, it's brandishing a weapon. It's showing it, ready to use it. Culture warrior, Shakespeare. Going back to tribal times, the, the most symbolic weapon was the spear as a representation of a warrior. And he does his war in the culture. 
And war is the presentation, is the assertion of the spirit of the place. That's his war. It's just this. But he's not. It's not a war in the sense of a victory over something. It's simply the reassertion or the assertion of what is so natural in him, the good in it, of what he loves about England. That's why he's a patriot. He's a reinvigorator of England's founding story. It's from out the unconscious, though. O noble English, that could entertain with half their forces the full pride of France, and let another half stand laughing by, all out of work and cold for action. Awake, remembrance of these valiant dead, and with your prescient arm renew their feats. The citizens, I am sure, have shown at full their royal minds, as let them have their rights, they are ever forward. Think about that. That's the king's spirit. Royal minds, the sovereign within. They have shown themselves to be Englishmen. Of course they should have their rights. Of course they should have their freeborn Englishmen's rights, because their minds are royal, because the king's spirit's within. You shall hear the legions now in Gallia sooner landed in our not-fearing Britain than have tidings of any penny tribute paid. Our countrymen are men more ordered than when Julius Caesar smiled at their lack of skill, but found their courage worthy his frowning at. Their discipline, now winged with their courage, will make known to their approvers they are a people such that mend upon the world. No tribute will we pay. Rome, EU, alter imperium. Let us be backed with God and with the seas, which he hath given for fence impregnable, and with their help only defend ourselves. In these and in ourselves our safety lies, in Englishness our safety lies. England is safe if true within itself, if it believes in its mythos, in its not looking overseas for what is the good. If the English had any apprehension, they would run away, that they lack. The island of England breeds very valiant creatures. Where have they this metal? Is not their climate foggy, raw and dull? On whom, as in despite, the sun looks pale, killing their fruit and frowns? Henry V. This is his speech to the troops at Agincourt, which is the defeat of the French. He which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and crowns for convoy put into his pass. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispin. He that outlives this day and sees old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbours and say, Tomorrow is St Crispin's. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. And this story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispin shall never fade from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he never so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves a curse that they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day. And it's so true, it's so true. The story shall the good man teach his son. You see that as a procedure, and this story being embodied, being imbued with the English good, you're a good man if you tell this story, because this is the English good, and you should teach this story to your son. Perhaps read this speech, this, this band of brothers, this happy few, that gloried themselves in the story of England for all eternity, that did their duty, did the highest good, did the highest good for England. We shall be remembered, we band of brothers, that built England, 
made themselves into the English meta, made themselves into English good, made themselves into saints. And their spirit lives on in the land. And this has captured their spirit. That's why they loved it. When they Imagine hearing this speech. Is that you've heard the history, father to son, mother to daughter, passed down. It resonates with you because of that. And this is true too. Like He which hath no stomach for this fight, depart. We would not die in that man's company. We don't want you, unless you have the English good in you. We don't want you, because you'll just make it worse. It's like the people that are just hiding in the culture war, not doing their duty. That is what leads us to failure. They actually weaken people, because they give other people ideas of, maybe I shouldn't fight either, rather than inspiring people. O England, model to thy inward greatness, not to overseas models, as William Blake talks about. We don't need Greek and Roman models for our mythos. O England, model to thy inner greatness, like little body with a mighty heart. What mightiest thou do, that honour would thee do, with all thy children kind and natural. Like natural children, from here. Like stupid academics call the Tudor plays like propaganda, Tudor propaganda. It's like, no dude, you don't get it. You don't get it. It's propaganda when it's a message. If you try to put any message, and all modern crap is a message these days, right? They're taught from the agency level up that, oh, what's the theme or the message? That turns into message, therefore propaganda, rather than just letting it. You discover it. When you're an actual artist or the poet, you discover it in the process of writing it. Rather than going in there with this message or this theme, you start and then say you go to a second draft, you've kind of discovered this thing, you've let it flow out of you. In the second draft, you then formulate it around this thing that sort of flowed out of you and you fed yourself with all the books that you read and all the things that you do. That's what he is. But he's fed himself with England. Art now is made so much, and it's okay to make art just based on your subjective experience. That's fine, but it is only for you. It's for your own point of view, for your own immortality. But there's another higher duty of making art where you're absorbing and reimbuing the culture. And that's what I've come to see as it's so much more rewarding as a duty to let that flow through you for its own sake. It's sort of like traditional art. It's the work that opens people up to their being and the story of England outside of their own understanding and their own place in it. It opens people up to the feeling of England, to the feeling of the history, so they can actually feel like they're participating in it. That's its use. So it'd be amazing if we could rejig people's understanding what the hell's going on here, to use this stuff as a tradition, not as a wank. When most people are doing renditions of this stuff, oh, Shakespeare, that's the fatter. You know, it's a wank. <laughs> it's a wank. But in the right way, it's not a wank. If you've got the right stuff from it, if you contextualize him as what he really was, as a culture spirit, as an embodied person that embodied the English home, then you get to the heart of the matter. Then you actually, what opens up to you is something that is the spirit that we need for the times that we are in. And on his gravestone, the message that he, he wrote, which I thought was quite relevant, is, Good friend, for Jesus' sake, forbear to dig the dust enclosed here. Blessed be the man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. So what that says to me is that leave me in England. That is where my spirit belongs. Place. It's like Robin Hood. He shoots his 
arrow towards the green wood and he says that's where i want you to bury me and so they go find where that arrow is and dig a hole there and it's at the green wood it reaches the green wood and so shakespeare's like leave me at leave me in the green wood the reason why he was a genius really is that he what he understood was that desire is mimetic like say you have a really good looking woman right she acts like she's self-interested and you go, oh, she's a narcissist. It's like, no, it's mimetic grift. <laughs> it's mimetic grift. And we all do it. She has the trigger of the beauty that might make you interested to begin with. But this air of self-satisfaction also makes you desire it more. It's a strategy that if I look like I'm desiring myself and I'm good looking at the same time, so it's got the in initial draw, you will want it more because desire is mimetic. She's more likely to get a high caliber mate if the more other people desire something, the more you want it, the more you, it's valuable. There are improvements on verse and drama that are beyond Shakespeare. The genius of the mimetic stuff, forget that. It's this stuff that's interesting and still unique and relevant to us. His patriotism and the spirit of England that's in his work. That's its true worth and that's what we need to use and mine from it. That's what we need. I do love my country's goods with respect more tender, more holy and profound than mine own life. One drop of blood drawn from thy country's breast should grieve thee more than streams of foreign gore. My purse, my person, my extremist means lie all unlocked to your occasions. May he be suffocate that dims the honour of this warlike isle. Advance our standards, set upon our foes, our ancient word of courage, fast and jawed. Inspire us with the blood of fiery dragons, of our countrymen. Renew the fight, or tear the lions out of England's coat. Renounce your soil, give sheep and lions stead. And when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the actions of the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood, disguise fair nature with hard-favoured rage. Then lend the eye a terrible aspect. Let it pry through the portage of the head, like the brass cannon. Let the brow overwhelm it, as fearfully as does a gold rock. Overhang and jutty his confounded base, swilled with the wide and wasteful ocean. Now set the teeth and stretch the nostril wide. Hold hard the breath and bend up every spirit to its full height. On, on, ye noble English, whose blood is fet from fathers of war-proof. Fathers that, like so many Alexanders, have in these parts from morn till even fought, and she their souls for lack of argument. Dishonour not your mothers, now attest that those whom you call fathers now beget you. Be copy now to men of grosser blood, and teach them how to war. And you, good yeoman, whose limbs were made in England, show us here the metal of your pasture. Let us swear that you were worth your breeding, which I doubt not. For there is none of you so mean and base that hath not noble lustre in your eyes. I see you stand like greyhounds in the slips, straighting upon the start. The game's afoot. Follow your spirit. And upon this charge cry God for Harry, England and St. George. And, you know, I'm sure many people have heard that, at least that last line before. Follow your spirit. Follow your inner, what is inspirited you, England. Follow your Englishness to its true north the arrow of englishness the arrow of robin hood to true north look back to your fathers of a different time the savageness that you need for this moment because it's in you. you can awaken in you the warrior that needs to do the duty that needs to do the blood work that needs to do the culture war or real war for the moment even though you are noble and he says a good yeoman you are good you are good and they are because the people that went with him 
to Agincourt, Wyoming, Archers, right, real normal people who were safe in England. But you have to look back to channel the ways from the Epoch of the Dragon because we are made up of Anglo-Saxonness, Christianness, elements of Celtic things that make up Englishness. But you can go back to that or the procedures of your forefathers that you can use in war that are necessary for war to be the disciplined culture warrior, to be the real warrior. We have those procedures within us, and that's what this resonates with. The spirit, follow your spirit, it's in there. The right words just need to be said for it to resonate in you, to awaken it and bring it up in you, to make war, as Shakespeare's feeling it in him, to awaken it, he's channeling it, to awaken it in the audience, and they would have felt that, and you might too when you hear it, if, it's, if the, some of the language isn't too arcane. Let me have war, I see. It exceeds peace as far as day does night. It's sprightly, waking, audible, full of vent. Peace is a very apoplexy, lethargy, mulled, deaf, sleepy, insensible, a getter of more bastard children than wars a destroyer of men. In many ways, <laughs> we've seen that. We've become too comfortable. Why, then, we shall have a stirring world again. This peace is nothing but the rust-iron, increase tailors, and breed ballad-makers. Let order die, and let this world no longer be a state, to feed contention in a lingering act, but let one spirit of the firstborn cane reign in all chests, that each heart, being set on bloody courses, the rude scene may end, and the darkness be the burial of dead. Here have we war for war, and blood for blood. <laughs> Beast! <laughs> Beast! Till now you have gone on and filled the time with all licentious measure, making your will the scope of justice. Till now myself and such, as slept within the shadow of your power, have wandered with our transversed arms and breathed, our sufferance vainly. Now the time is flushed when crouching marrow in the bearer strong cries of itself no more. That's so relevant of like what the state's doing. A tyranny. Licentious measure, making your wills the scope of justice, not the spirit of the land. No more, enough is enough. Till now myself and such have slept within the shadow of your tyrannical power, have wandered with our transverse and breathe our sufferance vainly, because you don't listen, state. You don't listen. You don't listen, ruling elites. No more. Maybe will rise. Maybe if you don't change your ways, it'll rise. The culture warrior, the spirit of bloody Shakespeare, the Englishman will rise if you keep doing it. O nation miserable, with an untitled tyrant, bloody septed, when shalt thou see thy wholesome days again? We shall shake off our slavish yoke, imp out our drooping country's broken wing. The life, the right, and truth of all this realm is fled to heaven, and England now is left to tug and scramble, and to part by the teeth, the unknown interest of proud swelling state, now for the bare-picked bone of majesty, doth dogged wall bristle his angry crest, and snarleth in the gentle eyes of peace, now powers from home and discontents at home, meet in one line, and vast confusion waits, the imminent decay of wrestled pomp, now happy, he whose cloak and censure can hold out this tempest. That's so relevant to now. What we're having right now is our own enemies attacking us within English culture. Proud swelling state, like rising government, right? Of tyrants in the state. The weight of this sad time we must obey. Speak what we feel and not what we ought to say. We need the truth now. There are a sort of men whose visages do cream and mantle like a standing pond, and do a willful stillness entertain, with purpose to be dressed in an opinion, 
of wisdom, gravity, profound conceit. <laughs> Think about that. All the people that even talk about Shakespeare for the same thing. And far as this order was ordained, my lords, knights of the garter, were of noble birth, valiant and virtuous, full of haughty courage, such as were grown to credit by the wars, not fearing death nor shrinking for distress, but always resolute in most extremes. He then that is not furnished in this sort, does but usurp the sacred name of knight, profaning this most honourable order, and should, if I were worthy to be judge, be quite degraded, like a hedge-born swain that does presume to boast of gentle blood. I vowed, base knight, when I did meet thee next, to tear the garter from thy craven leg, which I have done, because unworthily thou was installed in that high degree. Judge, great lords, if I have done amiss, or whether that such cowards ought to wear this ornament of knighthood. God, how relevant is that to all the people in the order of the garter? It's like, can you remove all these bloody people? <laughs> these, these royals who do nothing? Remove Harry from the order of the garter. This guy's no knight. This guy is, is not virtuous in England's virtue. Remove all the people that aren't. That's what it was for. Fucking hell. The axe commenced in this ball of earth. Upon my tongue's continual slanders rise to which in every language I pronounce, like leftist newspapers, stuffing the ears of men with false reports, I speak of peace by covert enmity, under the smile of safety wounds the world. Oh, let me have no subject enemies, whose adverse foreigners affright my towns, with dreadful pomp of stout invasions, how eagerly ye follow my disgraces, as if it fed ye, and how sleek and wanton ye appear in everything may bring my ruin. We are occupied by linguistic parasite, this sort of communism, <laughs> you know, there's these critical race theorists, sought to entrap me by intelligence, broke oath on oath, committed wrong on wrong, and in conclusion drove us to seek out this head of safety. His forward voice now is to speak well of his friends, his backward voice is to utter foul speeches and to detract. Right, this is everything we're experiencing right now. If we suffer out on our easiness and childish pity to one man's honour this contagious sickness farewell all psychic and what follows them commotions uproars and general taint of the whole state as of late days our neighbours the upper germany can dearly witness nothing emboldened sin so much as mercy god keep me from false friends and this is speaks of english culture the king spirit let's say I am constant as the northern star, of whose true fixed and resting quality there is no fellow in the firmament. I have neither wit, nor words, nor worth, action, not utterance, nor the power of speech, to stir man's blood. I only speak right on, I tell you that which you yourselves do know. I have sworn I am firm. The secrets of nature have not more gift intacternity. It's because the culture, the king spirit speaks through us. To stir, we stir man's blood, but we use the words of the past. The valuation, it can't speak for itself. We have to speak. Constant as the northern star, it points to true north, the king spirit. It's the values, the valuation, the patterns of behavior, the things we already value, of whose true fixed and resting quality there is no fellow in the firmament. There's nothing else. It's me, the king spirit, right? As our culture, as, as a personification of the culture. If I am attacked by ignorant tongues which neither know my faculties nor person, yet will be the chronicles of my doing, let me say tis but the fate of place that the rough break and the virtue must go through. You see, King Spirit is under attack. That's the nature of the thing. 
It can't defend itself. It's for us to embody virtue, to see it defended, to see it renewed, to see it reinvigorated. It's what we must do. We must do to be virtuous. I have neither wit nor words nor worth, action nor utterance, nor the power of speech to stir a man's blood. You do. You do. You have it within you, but you must speak it. I only speak right on. I tell you that which you yourselves already know. You already know. I have sworn, I am firm. The secrets of nature have not more gift in taciturnity, in physicalism. This is the gift. It's within you. The spirit is within you. So that's about everything I have to say. There's so much more I can read, but I will read it at a different time. I would just say that dare greatly to believe. Shake your spear. Be a culture warrior. God bless you. God save the king. And remember, comment on the video, jump on the locals. There's exclusive readings on there that are building up each week as I do them. Support the project and be a wider part of renewing this culture. Remember to comment, guys, because it lifts us in the algorithm. And sign up to the website, go on the locals, follow me on Twitter, jump on the Discord as well. It's all in the link in the description.